Hey guys, I'm uh, super thankful that you've uh, taken some time to, to join us uh, this morning as we worship. Some of you are watching obviously on, on Thursday night, but also just wanna thank you that you've invited, uh, so many of you have invited your friends to come and watch, and that's just a high compliment uh, to us. So I hope in the next few minutes, I, I know this is a difficult time, I certainly understand that for you and for your family. I hope during this time as we've worshiped through song and now just to get a chance to study the word a little bit together, that this could be a time that you can kind of shut the other stuff out for just a few moments and God could uh, really show you something and encourage you. We're learning some things as we move through this virtual worship and I've heard from multiple ones of you. I'm sitting down today because last week I think I got a little fired up and got too close to the camera and someone said my fingers look like uh, sausage links. They got really big, so I apologize for that. I'm trying to figure it out. It's really different just talking to a camera instead of talking to you guys. I miss you guys. Uh, I miss uh, having you there and us being able to worship uh, together. You know, one of the things in this series we're talking about is uh, the series is entitled 2020 Embracing a New Vision. And uh, we've said throughout this series that uh, right now we need vision more than anything else uh, in our life. And vision is really seeing as God sees. But those of you who know me know I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I, I love to fish. I love to tinker with all my fishing stuff. But I am, uh, I'm two months away from my 50th birthday. And one of the things that's happened in my life is I, I, I can't see uh, anymore. And so I, I used to could be out on the boat and I could tie on a lure in just a matter of seconds. And now it takes me so much longer because my sight is really even right now with my readers on, I'm trying to I'm trying to tie this lure on and I'm struggling just a little bit to, to see. It's, it takes a whole lot longer. My point is my sight's getting worse. Every single year, my sight's getting worse. I will say one thing about that. Uh, my hair uh, has let go. You guys, that's obvious, but that has really been a blessing during this time. So many of my friends who have great hair, one of them's just off to the left of me right now, uh, Robert Russell, who has amazing hair. These guys are really struggling right now because they cannot get their hair cut. And uh, bald guys are winning during this season. There is just no question uh, about that. So I'm super thankful for that. So there we go. After about 10 minutes, I was able to tie that lure on. So my side is getting worse, but, but here's the truth. You know, the Bible says, so outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. One of the things that can happen, one of the things I want us to see in this series is that our sight may be getting worse as we get older, but our vision can get better. And that's a really encouraging thing, that we can begin to see as God sees, and vision is way more important than sight. Can I say that to you again? Vision, seeing as God sees, being able to get a whole new perspective on every situation in life, from the nature of God to how we view uh, suffering, all these things really can get better in our life, and that can make a huge difference. And we're gonna see that today, because I think an area of our life where we need vision is as, as much as any area is probably in our relationships. You know, relationships are exceedingly difficult in, in, in every area. And I think during this time of quarantine, during this coronavirus, as uh, you know, you've been there in tight quarters just with your family and, and it's, it's stretched uh, many uh, of you guys, maybe in your marriage or with your children or brothers and sisters kind of at each other. So our relationships during this time have been stretched. But today, here's what we're gonna do for the next few minutes. And I'm, I'm so glad that you've just decided to sit with us for a little bit because here's what I believe. The passage that we're gonna look at has the ability to radically change and shape every relationship in your life. It has the chance to change your marriage. It has the chance to change the dynamic in your home between brothers and sisters, between parents and their kids, between folks that you've really struggled with for a long time. So as we get God's vision on relationships, there's a chance uh, for us to really see a difference. You know, we said last week, there's a passage in Proverbs that says, without vision, people perish. 
Without a, without a correct vision for relationships, relationships perish. Without seeing relationships as God sees relationships, there's really no hope for relationships. And so, I don't know if you guys know this, but in our country today, there's an act of domestic violence every 15 seconds. Isn't that amazing? That's terrible, that every 15 seconds, an act of domestic violence, there are uh, 20 million, or, or excuse me, 20% of all murders that take place in our country, 20% of all murders that take place in our country take place within the family. And 13% of those murders uh, occur uh, by spouses, a spouse murdering the other spouse, uh, which is just devastating. And it tells us how difficult relationships uh, can be. Amy and I are big Dateline fans. Obviously, she was on to Dateline first, and because I love her, I have, I've, I've jumped in. I'm a Dateline fan, too. But here's the thing. Dateline always just sets up this scenario. There's been, been a murder, and, you know, most of the time, nine times out of ten, it's the spouse that, or the boyfriend or girlfriend that kills the other person. And so we can really see that this is, this is really difficult, difficult stuff. Now, you know, we used to say it's a jungle out there. You talk about the world, it's a jungle out there. Well, really, when we take a look at relationships, sometimes it's a jungle in here. Sometimes it can be a jungle in our homes. Sometimes it can be a jungle inside our marriage. Sometimes it can be a jungle as we relate to our children. Sometimes it's a jungle as our children relate to each other. And so these close relationships are the ones that are, are so, diff uh, so difficult. And so what needs to happen, first of all, as we talk about the difference um, really between sight and vision, I think we have to first of all understand that, that we have an old way of viewing relationships. And those that, that way is 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 really, really wrong. And, and we're gonna see today how Jesus views relationships, but we have to identify that, that old lens for looking at relationships. And so, first of all, we come into this world thinking that every person that we're in relationship with exists to meet our needs. That's an old lens of relationships. You exist to meet our needs. And that really can be devastating. We, we really believe this in this old lens of relationship. My pleasure or my comfort is the most important thing in my life. And if that's how you view relationships, it's gonna be really difficult. And we, we think this way, we think this old view of relationships, how can I be served? How can someone really meet my needs? And so that's an old view of relationships and we have to identify that first. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's jump into a passage that uh, you may be familiar with uh, if you've been in church some. and. And that's okay, that's a good thing. I think repetition is a great thing for our spiritual growth and development. This is Luke chapter 13. Uh, this is a very familiar passage, but inside this passage, we're gonna really get Jesus's view on relationships. And now let me set this up. Uh, this is uh, the setting of the Last Supper as Jesus is just hours away from being arrested, uh, a mock trial going to the cross. So he wants to celebrate this Last Supper with his disciples. And so when Jesus comes into this room, one of the other gospel writers, Luke, gives us a little more context of, of what's happening in this story. In Luke chapter 22, it tells us that uh, is, as Jesus comes into the room, the disciples are arguing. And this argument that they're having is, is really, if you study the Gospels, it's an ongoing argument that the disciples had really for the three years that they were with Jesus. They were always arguing about who was gonna be greatest in the kingdom. Like they, they, they believe when Jesus set up his earthly kingdom, they wanna know who was gonna be kind of in the first chair, the second chair. And so in this time, after three years of being with Jesus, he walks into the room and there's an argument taking place about who was the greatest. And so let, let's look in John chapter 13, starting in, in verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, in other words, he's going to the cross, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that statement. It says he loved them to the end. 
I mean, he walks into this room, and I mean, these guys are just acting like just a just a bunch of bozos. I mean, I mean, they're just arguing arguing over petty stuff. And instead of just lecturing them or letting them have it, Jesus is extending grace to them even to the very end. That's an important thing as we think about getting Christ's vision for relationships. He's extending to extending grace to them during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So, really. Simon, uh, Simon's son Judas, we see, Judas has already decided that he's gonna sell Jesus out. He's here uh, at, at this meal. And then verse three, I think, is, is maybe the most significant passage in this section. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Before Jesus stoops to wash the disciples' feet, we get a, a declaration of Jesus clearly knowing who he is and clearly knowing what he was called to do and clearly knowing where he was going. That is his identity because here's what I believe and you may disagree with, with this. Uh, most of the time we think somebody who's, not a, somebody who's not a good servant is selfish and I think that's true, obviously true. But I think more than that, somebody who's not willing to serve is insecure. In a sense, they don't know who they are you see, you'll, you'll never stoop to serve someone until you know who you are. And Jesus is declaring that he knows who he is. He's the son of God. He knows what he's come to do. He's come to redeem mankind. And he knows where he's going. He's going to the Father. And those are three things that you can know about your own life. And in fact, you'll never have Christ's vision for relationships. And you'll never really be the servant that God would have you to be until you know those three things, all right? So now let, let's pick up. It says, after that, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, again, in this moment, in this last time that Jesus is with his disciples, he doesn't preach a message. Um, he teaches them, he shows them, he serves them, he loves them, and it's a powerful message. And I believe as Jesus is standing up and the disciples begin to understand very quickly what he's doing, because here was the culture of that day. I think about it, it's hard to kind of equate this to something that we have in our culture, but certainly in the winter time, for instance, if you come to somebody's home and you have a jacket, what, what, do, they, what do they do? I mean, they, they take your coat and, and they put it up for you and then you know, bring it back uh, to you as you're leaving. That's just a common courtesy that we do it in homes. Now, in this culture, in this first century culture, this was this a common courtesy was when you came into someone's house, there would be a servant there. And this is something that's very interesting. It wouldn't have been a Jewish servant because to wash someone's feet was so humiliating uh, that Jewish servants didn't have to do it. It was only Gentile servants that would wash feet. So there is this basin of water and a towel, and someone would be there to wash your feet. Now, when they wash the feet, you, you, you may have uh, kind of grown up in a, in a church setting where occasionally you had foot washings. I know that's kind of gone by the wayside, but somebody would come and dip a little water in and kind of wash your toes and move on. That, that's not exactly the way it went down in, in, in this culture. I mean, someone, first of all, would soak your feet. Uh, then they would scrub your feet and then they would dry your feet. This took a little bit of time, and it was for multiple reasons. Uh, number one, most of the time when you would come in and share a meal in this first century culture, you weren't sitting up at a table like we sit up at a table. Sometimes when we, when we study the Bible, we sort of impose our image of things about sharing a meal around your table, and some of you are in your kitchen right now. You can see your kitchen table. That, that's not the way it was. They would recline at tables, so it was, it was a lower table, maybe like this that I'm uh, sitting beside now, and folks were kind of laying around sides. So uh, just to be really 
I guess, clear. I mean, if you had nasty, stinky feet, I mean, they were affecting everybody else at the table. I mean, these feet are right in your face. And so it was a courtesy, not only for you, but for everybody else in the room. But when the disciples came into the room, none of them were willing to do it. They saw there wasn't a servant there. None of them were willing to do it. And, and I think they know what Jesus is doing when he gets up. And I, I just wonder the feelings that were flooding over them, that their rabbi, their Messiah, their master is getting up and doing what they really knew they should have done. But they thought they were above it, which is a, which is a big problem. We're, we're gonna get to that. Now, uh, we have this uh, image of Simon Peter in, in verse six. Let's take a look at that as we go back to the story. It says, he came, he mean Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing uh, now, you don't understand, but afterwards you will understand. Now, that's an interesting statement that Jesus is making, and I think here's what he's alluding to. Obviously, this is on the, this is on the other side of the cross, so Simon Peter doesn't understand fully what is about to take place. And so Jesus washing the disciples' feet was meeting a real need in that moment in time, but it was also foreshadowing what he was gonna do on the cross in an act of either further humiliation, as if it wasn't humiliating enough for the Son of God to wash the feet of the disciples, even more humiliating for him to go and be stripped of all of his garments to be beaten and to be crucified so that he could wash their hearts. And so that's, that's what he's alluding to. He says, hey, Pete, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what's about to, to take place. You don't understand. But he says, but afterwards, meaning after the cross, you'll understand. Peter said to him, and, and Simon Peter has a knack for doing this. He says, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. I mean, I mean, he stands up and he's, what, what Simon Peter thinks he's saying is like this, this bold declaration that's really good. Like, you know what? I know who you are and, and, and you, you know what? This is beneath you, Jesus, to, to wash my feet. So I'm not gonna let you wash my feet. And I think what Peter is thinking is he's, kind of more spiritual than the rest by making this statement. You'll never wash my feet. And then listen to Jesus' answer. It says, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, if you don't let me do what I came to do to cleanse you, then you have no part in me, Pete. And I love Simon Peter's response to this because so many, so many of us and so many of you watching, here's, here's the most important issue in life. It's like you're sitting at the table and this is what Jesus has come to do to cleanse you. But most people are like Simon Peter and have never let Jesus do what he came to do, cleanse them. But Simon Peter's response is different. After Jesus says, you'll never have any part with me unless I cleanse you. And then Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Simon Peter is ready because when Jesus alludes to the fact that you won't have any part with me, Simon Peter had spent three years with Jesus and he loves him. He, he, he can't think of life without him. And so he says, my hands, my head, my feet, everything. And then Jesus makes a, a pretty deep theological statement that I don't think we'll, we'll get a chance to break down completely uh, today. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to, to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. Just, just really quickly, what Jesus is saying is when you've put your faith and trust in me, you've been justified, you've been completely cleansed. But, but even as a believer, we, have, we need to confess our sin and deal with the sin that's in our life so we can grow. That's, Jesus is talking about the difference between justification and sanctification. But let's, let's get back to really uh, what's going on here as, as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Look at verse 11. For it says, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not, not all of you are clean. Judas is sitting at the table. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Did, in other words, Jesus said, did you just see what went down here? Uh, this is a very powerful thing. And of course they, they under, understood. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, for so I am. If I then, your, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus said, just as I have served you, this is how you are in, in relationship with other people from this day going forward. In other words, watch this. Jesus is giving them his vision of re relationships. He's, he's saying, this is how you're gonna live in a relationship with other people. You're not using people to meet your needs, but you're gonna be serving other people as I have served you. Let me finish this section up. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. And if you have your Bibles open, I think it'd be an important thing maybe to write in the margin, but this is such an important lesson that you might wanna write this in your notes. Jesus has to be your substitute before he can be your example. Does that make sense? What so many people wanna do is they wanna follow Jesus's example. And even Jesus's example as it relates to serve because lost people love this passage. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a follower of Christ and committed to Christ to love this passage. I mean, this is what people in the world love about Jesus. He's, a, he's just a servant and we need, to, we need to follow Jesus's example. But no, what Jesus is saying is, first of all, you need to let me be your substitute. You need to let me cleanse you and then that will motivate you to follow follow my example, because even in service, and this is a hard thing to think about, man, we can serve with some weird motives. Can we think about that for a second? I mean, some people serve because they, they love the way that makes them feel, and they, they, it's a way to kind of manipulate other people. In other words, some people serve because if I do this for you, then I know you're going you're gonna to do something back for me. And so service is a form of manipulation, which is not spiritual service, not what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes service is kind of like codependency. We have codependent relationship that we, we serve someone because we want to keep them really dependent and needy on us, and that, that's unhealthy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes we serve because we, we think we want to earn something from, from God. Lord, if I do this, then I, I'm hoping that you're going you're gonna to do something for me instead of understanding that God's already given us everything we would ever need in Christ. So we can even serve out of some unhealthy motives. In other words, if we don't let Jesus be our substitute and just serve out of love for him, then following his example, it, it, it really doesn't work. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, we're gonna break that down in just a little bit, but look at the very last verse in this passage. It's an amazing verse. Jesus closes this section in verse 35. He says, by this will everyone know that you're my disciple, by your love one for another. Jesus is saying the defining characteristic that you should have as a, one of my followers is that you should have this love for, for each other. And so as we talk, I wanna say just very quickly today, just three things that I think could really help us have God's vision for our relationships. And I believe, man, I believe we need God's vision for relationships now more than ever. And these are so helpful. And I promise you, not because of my teaching, please, but because of what's here in this word, this will change your marriage. There's no doubt about it. This will change every relationship you have in your life if you really follow what Jesus is, is talking about. And, and I would say this, the principles that we're gonna learn and look at, just three very simple principles that we're gonna learn and look at, I think these principles need to be applied with your primary relationships first. Like I think it's pretty easy to, to, to go through the drive-through when Starbucks opens back up again and order yourself a coffee and pay for the coffee and the person behind you and serve them. I mean, people do that and that, that, that's cool. That's easier to do 
than to, to serve a spouse that you're frustrated with, or if you're here and you're a, you're a teenager, a sister or a brother that's kind of driving you nuts and really serving them, that, that's, that's more difficult. So let's think about how we apply these principles with our primary relationships inside our marriages, with our brothers and sisters, with our children, uh, with extended family, with our moms and our dads. Let's think about how we can apply that really to these primary relationships uh, first. Now, here's the first principle that we're gonna look at, and we're just gonna look at Look at three. One of the things that's been interesting, you know, as a as a communicator, this is a this is hard because I'm used to communicating to people. Uh, right now, Marcus is running the camera. Robert is 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 here, and my wife Amy. That's it. And so uh, that's all that's that that's here. So I'm talking to you through this camera, and I'm sort of visualizing where you are right now. And I can tell as a communicator when I have people and when I don't. Sometimes when people are falling asleep, I can tell I've lost them. But we're we're learning now as we watch this. Um, we can tell when you guys are clicking off. So that's kind of really been the hard thing for me. If I thought people falling asleep was tough, now I watch and I just see our numbers just drop, 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 drop. So don't click off right now. This is important, uh, important thing. Uh, here's, here's three things. The first thing about relational vision. People who have relational vision know their identity, their mission, and their destiny. Right? Let me say that to you again. Those people who see relationships as God sees relationships have to know three things. Uh, they know their identity. They know who they are. I am a child of God. I am unconditionally loved. I am completely forgiven. I've been adopted into his family. That is who I am. And I have to know not only my identity, I have to know my mission. My mission is to bring God glory. My mission is to advance his kingdom over all things. And I have to know my destiny. One day I'm gonna be with the Lord uh, forever. So this is exactly what Jesus knows. This is what is said in scripture. Um, John records this, verse three. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going to God. Jesus knew his identity, he knew his mission, and he knew his destiny, and then he stoops to serve. Here's the thing about serving. Let's think about it. Serving's risky. To serve someone uh, is a risky thing because you, you don't know how they're gonna respond back to you. Sometimes when we serve people, we run the risk of being misunderstood. Uh, sometimes when we serve people, we're not respected uh, from that. Maybe we're maligned or making fun of, made fun of. Sometimes people take advantage of us. Like when we when we serve, we take they take advantage of. So serving is a risky thing. And so here's the point: you'll never risk to serve another person until you're solid on who you are. I know who I am. I know what God says about me. I know what God's called me to do, and I know where I'm going. So that gives me the confidence to, to do that. And so again, I said it this way, you will never stoop to serve until you know you're standing. Does that, does that make sense to you? I think it's a very important thing. I'm never gonna stoop to serve until I'm really solid in my standing. I know who I am in Christ, I know what God's called me to do, and I know where I'm going. I know who I am in Christ, I know what God's called me to do, and I know where I'm going. That will give me the confidence to stoop and serve, and that's why verse three is here. Uh, that's why it lays that out. Before Jesus serves, we see that. So here's the thing, let, let me just give you one example. If you're haunted by your past, never understanding and have come to grips with grace and never understanding the forgiveness that we have in Christ, if you're haunted by, by your past, you really aren't free to serve others in the present. Does that make sense? And so this is, again, I, I say it this way. Now, if, if I'm unwilling to serve my wife, which I have been, man, I, I've, I've struggled in that area, is that selfishness? Yes, it is selfishness. But I think it's also something even bigger than that. It's not just selfishness, it's insecurity. It's not really knowing who I am, and it keeps me from really risking serving uh, other people, right? I think it's an important thing. Now, those with, those with relational vision, 
also know who they're not, right? So a person of relational vision knows who they are, they know their identity, they know their mission, and they know their destiny, but they also know who they, they're not. They're not the center of the universe, right? That's an important thing. Uh, that, that's why in verse 16, listen to what Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And it's interesting, when Jesus would have been teaching, right, in real time, the disciples would have interacted with him. It wasn't him, them just sitting back and being quiet like we are. Jesus is saying, hey, truly, truly, or listen up, this is really important. A servant is not greater uh, than his master. And to that, they would say, that's right, Jesus. I mean, what he's saying is, hey, guys, you're not greater than me. And they said, of course we're not greater than you. You're, you're greater than us. Jesus says, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so Jesus is trying to rattle their cage a little bit and help them to understand a very, a very important principle, a false sense of self-importance, right? If I think too much of myself, it really hinders me from humble service. And this is the problem. This is what was taking place in this room when Jesus walks in. They're arguing over who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. They see the basin to wash feet, but every single one of them sitting around that table felt like they were too good for that. That was beneath them. And so what Jesus is, is saying is, if I did this, do you think you're greater than me? And to that they would say, no, we're not greater than you. So the natural conclusion of what Jesus is teaching is how ought you to live? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey guys, there's nothing beneath you. Can you think about that right now? As we get God's vision for relationships, one of the things that we might have to come to grips with is there's nothing beneath you. Uh, sometimes in, in marriage counseling through the years, I used to do a lot of that and now we have uh, way better counselors and they, they do that. But I used to hear this statement a lot. It, it went something like this, I shouldn't have to do that. Right, and, and sometimes the context was it would be a husband and, and he and his wife are angry and he would sit in and he'd say, I shouldn't have to pick up all the toys in the driveway when I pull in after a hard day of work. I shouldn't have to help with the dishes after working all day. I'm worn out. I shouldn't have to do that. And I knew exactly what the problem was right there. He had a false view of what it means to be a servant. There were things that, that he was unwilling to do. And listen, if there's anything in your life relationally that you're unwilling to do or you think you're that is beneath you, you're gonna struggle in relationships. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. That's what they thought. This is, just, this is just beneath them. Leonard Bernstein, some people would say, is one of the greatest, was one of the greatest musicians in US history. He was conductor, uh, composer. He actually conducted the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. And he was asked this question. Um, he was asked, what is the hardest instrument uh, to play? And Bernstein, he answered without even hesitating. He said, the hardest instrument to play is second fiddle. And then he went on to, to say, I can always get pl plenty of first violinist, but to find one, someone who's willing to play second violin with the same enthusiasm and same passion, or to play second flute with the same enthusiasm and same passion as the first chair is really hard to do. And then he, he, he said this to close. He says, and yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. That's a great statement, isn't it? If no one, if no one in the orchestra is willing to play second, we have no, hammer, uh, no harmony. I think that's where we are in our homes. Uh, so many of our homes, no one is, is willing to play second, even for a season, to put somebody else's needs ahead of their own. We think we have things that are beneath us. And, and, and to, be, to be really honest with you, I think that's, that's, why, that's why there's so much uh, difficulty inside marriage, so much difficulty inside of all of our relationships. Now, let's look at the second 
a thing that Jesus teaches. Those are with relational vision know who they're ultimately serving. This is a really important, really important principle. Uh, because of this, it's hard to serve undeserving people. Isn't that true? I mean, it is really hard to serve under, uh, undeserving people. I mean, someone that, that every time you're around them, they're gonna snipe at you, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna say something critical and then they hurt you, you know, in, in some ways. I mean, it, it's hard to serve someone that, you know what, uh, he comes home and he's, he's, he's grumpy and, you know, he's not attentive to anyone's needs and, and, and that, that's been me. It's hard to serve an undeserving person. But let's look back at our story and let's think about who's sitting around the table as Jesus washes their feet. And, and what, we're, what we're always prone to do is go to Judas. And, 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 and it is an amazing statement. Jesus washes Judas's feet. You ever thought about that? Jesus washes the feet of the man who would get up from this meal and go sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. That's unreal. But that's not the only undeserving person at the table. You ever thought about it? I mean, Simon Peter that, that same night was with uh, James and John and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus leans on them like he'd, he'd probably never leaned on them before. And he says, guys, would you come with me? Would you pray with me in this hour of anguish? And what did they do? They fell asleep. Jesus knew that was gonna happen. Later on that night, Simon Peter denies that he even knows Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, Thomas, who was at the table, after some of the disciples talk about the resurrected Christ, Thomas says, I won't believe, I won't believe unless I put my hands in his side, uh, in his hands and in his side. So, I mean, he's got doubt. All of them deserted him. And so, in, in essence, everyone around that table was undeserving. And Jesus washes their feet. And so, so here's the question. I think it's a really important question. A person of relational vision understands who they are ultimately serving. And here's what I want to, here's what I want to say. And I, I hope I want to, I want to teach you this. So we see this principle in Matthew chapter 25. It's a real popular passage. It's talking about the end times and and Jesus is, is saying to a group that have entered into the kingdom, he, he says that, that he is, they were blessed because when he was uh, hungry, they fed him. When he was thirsty, they gave him something to drink. Uh, when he was in prison, they came to visit him. And then that group says, Lord, when did we see you uh, hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you in prison and come to visit you? We don't, we don't understand what, what you're talking about, Jesus. And then Jesus makes that incredible statement, whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you served the least of these, you were serving me. Let me tell you something. When you serve the undeserving in your life, and that will be most people in your life, if not everybody. And so here's the, here's the real penetrating question. How do you serve the undeserving people in your life? You have to do this. You have to realize who you're ultimately serving. And when we serve the undeserving, we are ultimately serving the Lord Jesus. And that is God's vision for relationship. Does that help you? I sure wish I could see you right now. I sure wish I could see how you were responding to that because that really helps me. When I take a risk and I serve the undeserving, I'm really motivated to do that because I realize that is a way of serving uh, the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to do for your spouse are you willing to do for a brother or sister or for your parents or a coworker what Jesus has done for you? 
Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to forgive? You see, when we do that, that that's really gospel reenactment. Isn't that cool? When we're doing that, when we're serving well the undeserving, we're reenacting the gospel. We're serving those who don't deserve it. That's me. We're forgiving those who don't deserve it. That, that, that's me, right? We're sacrificing as Jesus sacrificed for those who don't deserve it. And so that's me. And this will uh, not only... Uh, is it obedient to the Lord? But it will begin to invigorate relationships in your in your home. Let, let's go ahead and close this up today. Thank you for hanging in here. And we obviously, we know the ones who don't. We have your email address. We'll be following up with the ones who uh, clicked off just a little bit uh, a little bit earlier. That was a, a veiled attempted humor. I have no idea if, it, if that landed with any of you or not, but uh, just trying to re-engage with you. Third thing, those with a relational vision know serving isn't merely a path to greatness. I hear that a lot. You know, serving's a path to greatness. Serving isn't a path to greatness. Serving is greatness. That's what Jesus says. Uh, you know, vision really redefines, redefines greatness. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you know these things and if you do them, you will be blessed. Right? So Jesus is saying serving isn't a path to greatness. It, it is greatness. Again, remember what I told you at the beginning? The disciples have this ongoing argument all through the Gospels about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And there's this really embarrassing story. Uh, James and John were known as the sons of thunder. Like, I, I just envision those guys like never wearing sleeves, like always, you know, they've got a tat, you know, sons of thunder. I mean, if you go by sons of thunder, like you're a dude, right? You're a dude. And so there's this, there's this kind of embarrassing story in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, their mom comes in, James and John, the sons of thunder comes in and she is making their case. She's asking Jesus, hey, can my boys be first and second chair? Can my boys be the most important in your kingdom? Now, when your mom has to come and do your bidding for you, like talking to a teacher, talking to a coach, talking to your boss, that's an embarrassing moment there, isn't it? It was embarrassing for, for these guys. And so she does that. She comes to Jesus and she asks that. Now listen to Jesus's response in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them all together. It's like, huddle up. Huddle up, guys. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He said, you know the way it is in the world that it's just, it's just power, possessions, position, all that. All, people use that. That, that. That's how the world really says a person is great or has, has value. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. Now, before I finish reading that, can I say that? Don't, isn't that really what you want to be? Don't you want to be great? I do. Don't you want a great marriage? Don't you want great relationships? Jesus says, if you want to be great, let me just tell you, here's the secret. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Can I say this to just to men today? One of the measures of a man is not how many people serve him, but how many people he serves. That's a measure of a man. That's what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying, Becoming a servant in a path to greatness, it isn't like one among many, it, it is greatness. And when we serve our spouse, our siblings, uh, when we serve the bride of Christ, that's the church. Um, here's what I believe, one, one of the things I believe about the coronavirus uh, in this period of quarantine, and I, I believe it's a sabbatical for the church. I, I believe it's been a break for the church. Here, here's what I believe is gonna happen on the other side of this. I think the church is going to come back stronger than ever before because I think one of the things that's happened in, inside the church is just over time, we've just got kind of complacent. 
And that we've even thought there's been things that have just been beneath us in the church that we shouldn't really have to do. But I think we're going to come back. And I, 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 think the, I think the church is going to come back with a renewed passion, renewed vision, and a renewed desire to serve the Lord Jesus and the bride of Christ like never before. I tell you what, I think it's going to be exciting days in the future. I mean, we, we're getting kind of a little sabbatical, a little maybe a little break now. But I, I think on the other side of that, it's going to be unreal. Now, as we close... Jesus closed this, this section, John 13, 35. He says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. He says, that's a defining characteristic uh, of my followers. See, here's the thing about relational problems. Relational problems are never circumstantial. They're always spiritual. Like we think, you know what the problem in our marriage is he doesn't make enough or, or she, she's, she's not patient enough with me or our kids are this or our kids are that or if we were able to have this or we were able to have that, a different job, a different neighborhood, if we were able to have more time, on and on and on. You see, relational problems are never circumstantial. They are always spiritual. And so here's the thing. What do your relationships say about your relationship? Is that a weird statement? What do your relationship, if you, if you took some inventory of grade school friends, middle school boyfriends and girlfriends, college roommates, your marriage, your relationship with children, relationships with folks that, that you've worked with throughout the past, what do your relationships, the quality of your relationships, the health of your relationships say about your ultimate relationship? Because Jesus is saying the defining characteristic of being in relationship with me is that we would have love for these. That's it, John 13, 35. And so I can tell about my relationship with him based on my relationship with them. It's a very important principle. What's, uh, what's the state of your marriage? The state of your marriage in, in many ways will reflect the condition of your heart. In fact, it's quite interesting. I think that's what Jesus is doing in this story. He's washing their feet because they needed their feet washed and he needed to show them a new vision for relationships as servants, but he's also foreshadowing what he was gonna do at the cross when he would cleanse their hearts. Can we look at, at Simon Peter's response as we wrap this up? He comes to Simon Peter, verse six. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do you, you about to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterwards you will understand. You see, Peter's response to Jesus in that moment may be your response to Jesus all your life. Because here's what Jesus has come to do for you, and I don't know where you are and where you're watching right now, but it's as if you're sitting around the table right now. You're in your kitchen or you're in your den and you're with your family. But I wonder if we're just not reclining around the table. And Jesus, he stands up, he grabs a towel, he wraps it around him, and he's coming person by person by person. And his desire for you was the same desire he had for these disciples around that table to cleanse them. But Simon Peter's response is the response of so many folks. I don't need that. I'm good. But the truth of the matter is, you're not. And, and you say, well, how do you know that? Look at your relationships. Take a look at them. Take a look at just train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. You see, that's really showing you the condition of your heart. And so maybe for the first time in your life, you would humble yourself and finally let him do what he's always wanted to do to cleanse you, 
to forgive you, to come in and take control and change your desires. It will change everything. You see, I, I, would, I would ask this for those of you who have, have never let him cleanse you, it's a humiliating thing. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a foot washing service. I, I, I've been in a couple of them in years past when someone stoops down, another man stoops down and washes your feet. It is a, is a humbling thing. And um, to put yourself in a situation where you say, you know what, I can't do this. I'm guilty. I'm dirty. My past can't be wiped away. Jesus, would you cleanse me? You, the Son of God, come and cleanse me. Letting him do that is the most significant thing in your life. And I wonder if some of you wouldn't let him do that right now. For those of you who are, are a believer, could I ask you this question as we wrap up? Are you willing to do for those closest to you, spouse, parents, brothers and sisters, are you willing to do for those closest to you what Jesus has done for you? You see, that's what it means to serve, to serve, to sacrifice, and to forgive. And let me tell you something, if this is a consistent behavior inside your marriage, consistently serving your spouse, consistently serving parents, even when they're undeserving, which is always the case, right? We saw that. When that is a consistent behavior, it will change the dynamic of your home in an unbelievable way. And boy, I think that's what we need now. And so I wonder if you'd pray with me. Would you pray this? Would you pray, Father, would you give me your vision for relationships? Because my vision of relationships is cloudy and selfish and insecure. Would you help me to see relationally as you see? And Father, would you use it to change my family? Would you use it to change my marriage? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being a part of this service with us today.